is Hollywood. But that's what the enemy would love for you and I to believe, is that he really doesn't exist and that this kind of stuff is just in the movies. But if you've ever dealt with the enemy, you know it is as real, actually more real than this physical world. The spiritual world was here before the spiritual world, the physical world. God created the physical world, and here we are. But there were angels before we ever showed up, and fallen angels from heaven called demons were here before we showed up. So not knowing your enemy is a huge mistake, especially when it comes to Christianity and spiritual warfare. So I'm going to open up. Ephesians chapter 6 today is going to be a standalone message today, but some of you are dealing with harassments, migraines, physical illnesses, marital discord, confusion, oppression, depression, things that you've tried to work through in your own willpower, things with medications, counseling, all these things are good and important. But if you're dealing with something that is spiritual, you cannot overcome them with things in the natural. So today there's going to be deliverance here for some of you. You're going to experience freedom because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul writes this amazing close to probably the most powerful book in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. It's a letter he wrote to a group of people in the city of Ephesus that is called the book of Ephesians. He writes to them and he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The reason he says finally is because in the first couple chapters, he talked to these Christians about their position in Christ. That in Christ Jesus, you now have been elevated above all powers and principalities, all the demonic realm. In Christ, when he broke the power of death, rose from the dead, sitting at the right hand of the Father. If you give your life to Christ, when you give your life to Christ, in the realm of the Spirit, you are sitting with Christ Jesus. Secondly, he talks to them in, the, in, verse, in chapters 3 and 4 and 5 about your practice in Christ. And that is, so how then do you behave as a believer, a citizen of heaven, while you're in the earth? How do you behave? Then in chapter 6, he closes it with your power in Christ. Now, in, in the Greek, uh, in the language that the, the Bible was written in, there are many different words for power. Uh, like dunamis, for example, is where we get the word dynamite from. That's explosive power. You blow things up. That is not the power he's talking about here. And you'll see why I opened up with this little clip from the Lord of the Rings. This word power that Paul uses in Ephesians 6 is kratos. It means dominion. Exerted strength and power shown effectively in a reigning authority. Let's go on and see what Paul says uh, as he reads on, as I read on. Put on the whole armor of God. Everybody say the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. Not just the armor of God, not a part of the armor of God. The whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand. You can't even stand against the devil if you don't put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities. Now this is revelation. You have to understand that Paul was just a religious man. He had no spiritual awareness of Jesus the good news of Christ, forgiveness through Jesus, or the spiritual realm. But after the resurrected Christ appears to Paul, Paul turns his life over to Christ. Jesus, Paul records this, literally, uh, Paul came out of his body, his spirit, went to heaven and saw everything. He saw heaven, he saw hell, he saw the earth, he saw the demons, the spirit. Jesus showed him everything. So that's why he then can write to the, to the Christians at Ephesus, I want you guys to understand something. Though you do tangle with things in the natural, natural circumstances and human beings, 
There's a whole nother realm you need to be made aware of. And look what he says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's spiritual uh, authorities over cities and regions. Against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This clearly reveals that we are dealing with more than human relationships and natural circumstances. And there's two things that you and I must have if we are going to win and effectively deal with demonic powers. One is kratos, which is spiritual dominion. Now, let me tell you, no human being has any spiritual dominion over a spiritual power like Satan unless you are in Christ Jesus. Secondly... You notice he said the whole armor of God. You have to have God's armor. You can't just yell at the devil, call him names, say, I'm going to beat him up, I'm going to cut off his head. That does zero in the spirit realm. In the spirit realm, demon spirits respect. They don't like or love or honor, but respect Jesus because they know he is the king of kings and lord of lords, including theirs. Even though they're rebellious spirits, he is king. Which is why I showed this clip, because he was the king of Gondor. uh, Gondor. He's the only one that those evil spirits, those spirits of the dead, would respect as the king of Gondor. Well, let me tell you something. The Bible literally says that the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God and they tremble. Secondly, you saw the sword that he raised. That was the sword of the king of Gondor that was repaired after a battle. You'd have to see the trilogy. And so even even if you are in Christ and you have authority over all demonic powers. You remember when Jesus' first disciples, we're talking about a tax collector, fishermen, blue-collar guys, go out in Jesus' name to do ministry in his name, they come running back to Jesus and they're saying, oh my gosh, even the demons do what we say when we use your name. And Jesus says, yeah, I know. That's small potatoes. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Don't worry. Don't rejoice over the fact that you get to cast out devils. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life so that you get to go to heaven when you die. And then Jesus turns around and says he rejoiced in the spirit. You know what it means in the Greek? He literally twirled around and started dancing and shouting hallelujah to God. He said because his disciples had been released to now begin to dismantle demonic powers. Do you know the Bible says that the reason Jesus came to the earth was to destroy, completely dismantle, and disintegrate the works of the devil? And that's what he did. Then he sends you and I in his name to do the very same thing. So now Satan and the the spirits that fell from heaven, that were angels that are now called demons, not only have to deal with the one man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh. But after Jesus rose from the dead and the church was birthed, Christians, just you and I, regular people going around in his authority with God's armor are casting out demons, healing the sick, and even raising the dead all over the planet. So if that's true and you are the devil, what's the, probably the number one thing, your number one assignment against, against the church? Get people to teach that everything I just said is not true. And come up with some dumb theology that says, it was true a long time ago, but it's not true now. Oh, isn't that nice? Isn't that fair? So, in the, in the 21st century, the devil still gets to be the devil. He still gets to afflict people with sicknesses and diseases, send demonic spirits to division and chaos and strife and violence and all that but the church has been stripped of all their armor and yet we still have to go out on the battlefield that's insanity and there's no biblical proof or precedent for it it's foolishness and it cripples and and endangers human beings because the church is stripped of its authority and its armor of god and yet we are to do what and we're to set who free how? Can you tell it makes me a little angry? This is one of the little things that makes me a little angry. 
Notice that it says the schemes of the devil. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That word scheme is, literally means this. A large-scale systematic plan or arrangement for attaining some particular object or putting a particular idea into effect. Yeah, your demise. A large-scale systematic plan. The devil instigates a large-scale systematic plan to destroy your marriage, destroy your health, destroy your finances, destroy your relationship with God. That's what he is literally frothing at the mouth to do 24-7. Do you realize this? You have an enemy and he hates you because he hates God. He tried to overthrow God in heaven. A third of the angels came with him. God casts them out of heaven. They're in the earth and they are tormenting the human race until they get cast into the lake of fire and it's all over. In the meantime, we're right smack in the middle of a battle. And he is scheming your demise. That's why Paul says, therefore, everybody say therefore, because this is all true, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That word withstand is the word antihistamine. You ever heard of that before, antihistamine? It means to stand against an aggressive stand. When histamine is released in your mast cells in your body, it's what causes your eyes to itch and burn and watery nose and sneeze and produce mucus and skin to itch and develops rashes and hives and sinuses. Does it sound like the devil? Sinuses that become congested, congested and cause headaches, lungs to wheeze. So he says, you have got to know your authority, be in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, if you're not in Christ, you really ought to be. Not only just because you get to go to heaven when you die. As a free gift because there's Jesus' blood on the cross. But secondly, because you will have automatic authority over all the powers of darkness. I mean, like from the second that you become a Christian, you become a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And demons have to do what you say in his name. It's about authority. It's not about flexing your muscles. It's about authority. Peter talks about this as well. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Some of you, I I feel like the Holy Spirit just said this to me. Some of you still, you don't believe the devil exists. As long as you keep believing that, he's going to keep smacking you around. You wonder why you have these temptations that dominate you. You can't, you just, they just, they wrestling is what he says we do we wrestle did you see that word in there he says we wrestle i was a wrestler in high school that was my sport and every match that i won was a was a hard fought battle and he uses this terminology wrestling because that was the main sport back then and that's where the olympics started was wrestling was the first sport he uses that terminology to say, this is what it's like when you are wrestling against demons. It's, there's never a knockout punch in the first round. Even when Satan attacked Jesus Christ himself, the son of the living God, he attacked him three times. Jesus rebukes him. He hits him again. Jesus rebukes him. Hits him again. Jesus rebukes him, and he goes away. We'll look at that in just a second. But he's hitting the son of God three times. I mean, they're going at it. They're wrestling What do you think he's going to do with you and I? You think he's just going to hit us once and we say, get out of here. And he goes, and he just runs and never comes back. That's not going to happen. It's going to be a wrestling match. So Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Yeah, the one who doesn't believe the devil exists, you can devour that person, a person with pride, a person that's not in community. They're out there all by themselves like a little poor gazelle that got ran off from the pack and the, the, the lion sees him and just has him for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Resist him. That is the same word Paul used, antihistamine. An aggressive stand. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, but the God of all grace. Everybody say, but. 
the God of all grace who called us into his eternal, eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have wrestled, suffered, tangled, gone at it a while with the enemy, will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. You do not want to come up against evil powers arrogantly, thinking that you can do it in your own strength. Uh, this happened in the Bible. It's recorded where um, the seven sons of a priest tried to cast demons out of a man. And the demon said, well, I know who Jesus is. And I know who Paul is because Paul's in Christ. So they respected Paul because Paul's in Christ. And the demon speaking out of the man says to these seven sons of a priest, but who are you? And it says this man beat all seven of these men up, stripped the clothes off of them for whatever reason, and they go running through the city naked. That's an embarrassing moment. So we don't want to come arrogantly, but we also don't want to be intimidated. A Christian has no business being intimidated by the devil. I remember Smith Wigglesworth tells his story about how he was asleep one night and all of a sudden his bed was shaking like this, you know, like you see in the movies, right? Of course, and the devil always wins in Hollywood. And, you know, uh, the bed's shaking. He wakes up and he said, Satan was standing at his bedroom door. Could you imagine? (laughs) Yes. You're like, yes. No, that was Phil. The silhouette was kind of hard to make out. That's horrible. And Smith Wigglesworth says, wakes up, looks at him and says, oh, it's only you. And goes back to sleep. One time, uh, one of my, uh, one of my, my secretary wanted me to meet her boyfriend. And uh, so we met at uh, Black Angus over down by the sports center. And he told me he was a scientist. He didn't believe anything unless he could, you know, see it, taste it, smell it, feel it. And uh, he said he read all Stephen King's books, watched all Stephen King's movies. And I was just looking down at my stake, and I said, well, you've opened yourself up to, to demons. And, uh, and I looked up, and he was, like, gripping the table like this. This. And his, and his girlfriend, was, his name was John. And John, John, what's wrong? John, 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 what's wrong? And I look up, and I'm like, oh, great. I want to eat my steak. And you're going to manifest a demon right here, Black Angus? And so I, I go over to him and I go to get his wrist like this. And come on, let's go to my office, which is just right down the street here. And he grabbed my wrist. And I mean, it was like, I mean, he almost shattered my wrist with the strength of that demon spirit. And so then I had to shift gears. This isn't like my old bar days where I say, hey, let's take this outside. And let's see who, who you know, gets the first shot. I had to shift gears and get out of the flesh and get into my authority in Christ and understand I'm not talking to John anymore. I'm talking to a spirit that is in him. I say, in Jesus' name. I use the same terminology, but I put Jesus' name on it. In Jesus' name, let's take this outside. You see, we're in a completely different realm now. And we did, and I won't tell you the whole story, but cast the devil out and got saved and the whole deal. But I had to realize I'm dealing with somebody beyond the natural. So today I want to take just a few moments and I'm going to have somebody share a testimony with you. We had somebody uh, email us our website saying, look, I think I'm dealing with demonic activity. I've, I've tried all sorts of different places and churches and nobody seems to deal with this. Do you guys deal with demons? And we said, absolutely. So I shot his name over to Gary and Francisco and they met with Matt and um, I don't want to tell his testimony for him. So Matt... Uh, would you come down and um, Wendy, would you come down as well? You don't have to talk, Wendy. You just look, look, just dote over your husband as he talks. That's how we do it here. Let's welcome, let's welcome Matt and Wendy. Okay, here we go. Thank you. Thank you guys for sharing your testimony. This kind of stuff is weird to most people. But it's not weird after you get set free from it. It's just awesome, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so tell us your story. Yeah, I mean, I just real brief, I grew up Catholic as well, and just it was always rules and structure and everything. Uh, 18 years ago, I got saved in 
the same way Paul got saved. Um, and um, about, what, a year and a half, two years ago almost, I was working at Hertz downtown, and it was like 1230 at night, walk in the parking lot. Next thing you know, I wake up, face, teeth in the asphalt, 15 feet from where I would have tripped. <laughs> so it's like if I'm here, I woke up where you're sitting. <laughs> and my head got so hard that she took a picture of it. She thought it looked like the elephant man. So about eight weeks later, I'm starting to recover, and we went to Easter, an Easter service at her parents' church. And her church. And it just, and I just, I started, I just had this massive physical torment that hit me. And I had to leave. She said I turned gray, and I had to leave. And ever since that day, literally my body was just being ripped apart. I mean, it literally felt like my stomach, somebody grabbed it like a wet towel and just wrenched it and it would drive it would just drive all this physical keep that up there okay it would drive all this physical pain in my head and mentally i mean the rage that i had i'm normally a really calm guy was insane she would get tremendously scared and over time the lord was really speaking to me i went to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor pill pill procedure after procedure and just nothing helped brain injury related like mm. that's what they kept saying and it's just going to have to work itself out and take time mm. to heal and mm. yeah and i was told that i was told you just have to there's old mat there's pre-injury mat and there's post-injury mat you just have to accept it and move on you're never going to be the same but i just felt like this what god was telling me was it wasn't physical there was something spiritual and i couldn't put my finger on it mm-hmm. and you know i started watching you know I, I ended up literally having to lay on the couch all day, gain like 45 pounds. <laughs> You're just not doing anything. And so there's, you know, I would watch the shows that were like those paranormal shows. And some of the, two of the things on there exactly describe the situation that I had gone through. And so I started to think, okay, what I'm feeling isn't just sickness. It feels like somebody is literally actively driving this pain. And so I, I said, look, I don't think it's physical. So I emailed them, and we had two meetings. The first meeting, the one thing that God healed me from was the rage. So I think there was more than one spirit for sure. Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of them probably. And I left there, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm, I'm actually calmer. <laughs> but I still was at home just in wretched pain. And it was like somebody literally grabbed my stomach and just started turning it. And even my acupuncturist was like, he said, I've never felt anything like this before. And so I went back, and they laid hands on me. Wendy came, um, our stepdaughter came over, my stepdaughter, her natural daughter. And, uh, and they cast the spirit out. And even Sophia, our little girl, who was here last week, she said, uh, she looked in my eyes and she could see the devil. Wow, that had to be and you, you heard that dramatic for your daughter. And from that day on, it was August fourth over at E three. I have not had one symptom since. <laughs> and <I'm, laughs> but more of that, it was a clarity of mind. And Francisco, who you know has been awesome, he gave me a word and he said, "You know, Matt, he goes, you have you have you know the Lord really well, but He's not your friend right now." And that was one of the things that he, really like, the Lord spoke to me is it's like, we have this power. And it reminds me of the parable when the prodigal son came in. He ran out, it says he fell on his neck, put a robe on, but then he put on the signet ring. And that's what pastor's talking about. It's like, we're his friend. Yeah, it's the Kratos. We're his friend. But he loves us. He loves us for his bride. Mm. And I, I just remember the one time in that meeting I felt the Lord was calling me because we were sitting in a chair. And I just felt like... How much do you want this out? And I got on my knees. You guys remember that. I got on my knees and I just said, look, I have nothing left inside. I'm saying, I have nothing left. Please take this away. And it was gone. Like that. So there is an army. There is an army. This is the thing. He goes after leaders. So it's it's important to pray for the pastor as well. Because they're not going to go after the pawns on the chess table. They're going to go after the leaders. You talked about the Episcopal Church. They went after your leaders. Yeah. Right. So they're going to go after as, as much as you think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm in a great day. I'm in the word. Now you're a bigger target. 
Mm -hmm. And I never expected it to happen. I mean, definitely, it came out of zero, nowhere. I had no idea, you know, that anything like this would happen. But that that enemy hates us. Yeah, yeah. And he'll do anything. So. And um, and Wendy, so you're a middle school teacher right here. No, I I teach at Sunset Hills down the hill in second grade. Elementary school. Okay, you're an elementary school teacher. Yeah. You guys have a, a young daughter. Yeah. And your husband is just on the couch, gains 45 pounds, is just tormented, and, and you guys have exhausted your resources, right? Yeah, we, he's had every single body part checked out, and right. every test, he's been probed up and down, and, and we, were, we were basically like just doing every, we did Reiki, we did your prayer service, we did, we did we've done everything. And wow. so we, you know, we had, we had had, um, Matt came to our, my church that I normally go to, and they, he had a prayer service there, too. And um, so we've been praying throughout mm-hmm. this process. But that I think that Matt had just really decided in his heart that he understood what was going on yeah. and then was able to, Amen. with your help, cast it. Cast we out. thank Jesus. So, yeah, we thank him for you guys' freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Oh. Awesome. 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 You see, that's what I'm talking about. They had exhausted all human natural resources and they had to take it up a notch. Go to a different dimension. And these guys, look, these guys are just a couple rednecks. I mean... (laughs) Yeah, Gary Bumpkin. He's from some podunk town like Ramona. And uh, that's where I'm from, for those that might be from there. And uh, it had to do with authority and knowing your authority to set these precious people free. She, got her, she said she waited three months before she'd even believe it. And your own sister, she said, I got my husband back. Your sister said, what happened to you? I've got my brother back. I mean, this is real. This is... This isn't some weirdo telling some strange story. This is a this is a normal guy with a normal wife and a normal sister and a normal daughter living in our neighborhood, right up here in North County Inland. Can you imagine demons actually exist here in our affluent society? I thought it was all down in southeast San Diego or maybe south of the border maybe or over in Africa. You know, they, of course, they do not visit Ramona because I live there. So I want to get to praying for those of you who want prayer, but I want to equip you before we get to that point. So I've got to move very quickly because I want to go through. We've talked about authority up to this point in Christ Jesus. But now I want to talk to you about the armor and thank God that Paul details the armor for us. Now, look, for some of you, this is going to be review. But like one of my one of my former pastors, he had this experience. He was in his young. He was in his 20s. He becomes the pastor of a large church. And he's in his office, and an old man walks in, an old Presbyterian man, sits in front of my pastor's desk and says, "Uh, Son, do you put on the armor of God every day? And my pastor said, "Um, I have a a Ph.D. in systematic theology, and I know all of the pieces of the armor in their original language. He said, Son, I didn't ask you if you know about the armor. I asked you if you put it on every day because you're going to need it. So some of you here today may know all about the armor of God. You can teach it better than I'm about to teach it. The question is, are you using it? As your sword on the ground, as you lay your shield down somewhere, as the word of God, like when's the last time you memorized scripture? I mean, we're going to go through the armor of God and you've got to, you've got to realize this is serious business. And not only do you need to walk in victory, you need to get other people set free like, like Francisco and Gary in Christ's name set Matt free. You've got to be that kind of a believer. Can I hear an amen? amen? All right, come on, church. Let's be the church. So what are the pieces? Number one is truth. It's interesting that he starts with the belt of truth. He says, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. You don't want to walk out on the battleground with your pants down to your ankles. That doesn't, that's not good for anybody. Because that's what the belt of truth is. It, it holds your pants on, right? It holds everything together. The belt of truth. 
It's interesting that he starts with truth because this is where it all began. This is where it all began. In the Garden of Eden, it all began with a lie. The first thing out of Satan's mouth was a lie. Twisting truth. And he's still doing it all the way up till today. And we as human beings are still falling for it. We fall for philosophies and lies of the enemy. That's, the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. And that includes the air waves. The ideologies, the philosophies uh, of our culture coming through music, coming through videos, coming through uh, spoke persons. I mean, coming through every, literature, curriculum. I mean, just literally trying to shape our minds. The Bible says in the book of Revelations that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. It's the shaping of the mind. So it begins with truth. The truth is your, is your reference point. It's where you line up every thought, every word, everything you hear, you've got to line up to a reference point. It's like a lighthouse where ships can see where the jetty is so they don't go shipwreck and so many people go shipwreck because they 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 put out the the lighthouse they they don't consider the lighthouse as truly a lighthouse they don't consider truth as truth it's all relative in construction they say is it true what that means is is it level so your house isn't isn't on a slant or is it square so you start like with tile the first tile has to be perfectly square so that all the other tiles line up with it so you don't end up on the other end of your room and you've got some weird situation. And then when the storm comes, Jesus said, if you build your house on my word, the storms of life will hit your marriage, hit your finances, hit your physical body, hit your life, hit your spiritual life, and your house will not fall because you are founded on my word, my truth. But if you build your life on the sand, the storm's going to come and you're going to be blown apart. And in the Greek, it literally means beyond repair. So how important is truth? Satan lies to you about who God is, who you are, who Jesus is, about the Bible, where your happiness and fulfillment comes from, where you came from, where you're going, the effects of sin, lies to us about one another, puts little thoughts in our minds about one another to rip us apart. So that's why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth, who will lead and guide you into all the truth. Truth is number one. So do not fall into this lie about relativism and that all truth is relative. What that means is it's just what you think is true. The problem is you're going to change tomorrow. So that means it's all over the map. Now, I've told you this before, and I don't want to get all into the uh, into the uh, this teaching about truth and relativity and all that. But here, I want this. So now I just got myself a new phone because you see, my truth is. Stealing's just fine. So who are you to tell me that I can't take your phone? That's my truth. Okay? So, and besides that, you shouldn't be texting in church. So that's why I took your phone. You see, we think, we think truth's all relative until it visits you. And all of a sudden, I don't like what you just did. You stole my phone. Well, I think stealing's okay. All of a sudden, we have, we have conflict, don't we? You see, absolute truth has to exist. It does exist. Uh, for life to work. Secondly is righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness is being right with God. There is no way any human being, including you, will ever be right with God. Period. Because, contrary to some religious beliefs, one right does not erase a wrong. In fact, a thousand rights do not erase one wrong. Sin is like a stain that can never be removed, except by the blood of Jesus Christ. Only thing that removes sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. God says, though your sin is like red as as crimson, it will be white as snow, only through the blood of his son. So why is this important? Because we all have sinned and we all have shame. Shame cripples, condemns uh, the heart. Sin destroys lives, period. Sin is absolutely destructive in every way, shape, and form. But 
the power of sin is shame, the emotion of shame that causes you to hide from God for sure. That's what Adam and Eve did. As soon as they bought the lie, then they felt shame and they hid from God. And that's what we do. Even in church, we hide from God. We hide from one another because of this intrinsic shame on the inside of us. Well, I want you to know something. Jesus not only bore your and my sin on the cross, he bore our shame. Once you really grab a hold of this truth, and this is why Paul's talking about it here, you cannot be on the battlefield of life with a condemned heart. You'll be insecure. You won't be able to pray boldly before the throne of God. You won't be able to pray boldly against the enemy. You feel disqualified. But once you truly come to a place, and I have a whole series called Breaking Shame. I can't get into it today. I've got to be very quick through these different pieces. I'm just like a rock skimming the surface of the, the armor of God. But once you recognize shame, and it does not come from Jesus, that's when you can learn to do what Jesus did with shame. He ignored it. It says when he was on the cross, it said he ignored the shame. He despised it. He thought of it as nothing. You see, once you, you should feel shame for sin, but not after you've confessed it to God. That's my point. Once, because shame is actually a good thing. That means you have a conscience. People who feel no shame are called sociopaths. So I'm not saying be a sociopath. I am saying once you have gone to Jesus Christ of Nazareth who died for your sin and guilt and shame, you go to him and you say, I confess it. This is what I did. Name it. Be bold with it before God. And he says, if you confess your sins before God, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Boom! Now I'm back on the battlefield. Right? And Satan will start talking to you about your sin. Let me tell you something. And this is true. This isn't just good preaching. You try to talk to God about your sin after you've confessed it, he will not know what you're talking about. Because God says, I throw your sin as far as the east is from the west. And they never meet. I do not know what you're talking about. He erases it because of the blood of Jesus. Peace. Whenever I ask somebody that just gave their life to Christ what they feel in their heart, they inevitably say peace. Why is that? Because once you give your life to Christ, the first thing that happens is guilt is gone from your emotions and your mind, from your conscience. It's a supernatural event that takes place. It's a gift from God. In fact, I want to back up for a second. Will you back, back up the uh, PowerPoint? I, you need to see this, this scripture, these two scriptures. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Not good works, not lighting candles, not doing special things and good deeds. The wages of sin is what? Okay, but the, say it out loud. Say it again. The free gift of God is eternal life. And then Romans 5.17 says, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and they say it? gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So the reason you experience peace when you first give your life to Christ is because you've been made right with God. It's a supernatural experience. It's a gift. Uh, four people walked down the aisle last Sunday right here and they gave their life to Christ. And I said to each one of them, what do you feel? Every single one of them, peace, peace. Well, that's because not only were your sins completely forgiven and erased in that second, nanosecond, Jesus just whoop, jumped right into your soul. But then the Prince of Peace, the Holy Spirit, filled your hearts with the peace of Jesus Christ. And look what Jesus says about his peace. Uh, John fourteen twenty seven. I leave behind with you peace. I give you my peace, my peace. And my gift is nothing like the peace of the world. I remember when uh, I used to smoke pot and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, why do you do that? I said, because it relaxes me and gives me peace. He said, well, you're substituting that for the Holy Spirit. 
I give you my peace. And it's not the word, not, what did he say? I give you my own peace, and it's nothing like marijuana. It's nothing like alcohol. It's nothing like pornography. It's nothing like yoga or whatever. Not that that's sinful. But there, and there are things we do to, to relax us and have peace. But when we do them because we can't find peace, I believe it's because we either are not filled with the Holy Spirit who is the peace of Christ, or we are not walking with the Holy Spirit. We are not praying in the Holy Spirit. We are not walking close to Jesus because he is the prince of peace. Now, why is, this a, why is this part of God's armor? Because Satan is all about division and strife and chaos. That's why he says your shoes are gospel shoes. What does that mean? How does God get the prince of peace into people's hearts? How does he do it? I'm asking you. Say it. What? Sharing the good news. Look what, Rome, look what the book of Romans says. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, which is the good news, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it. That's why the Roman shoes had spikes in the bottom of them. Your gospel shoes have spikes. Why? So that on a slippery slope and a muddy field, you can get traction. Remember, withstand, aggressive stand. So when you're coming against a spirit of intimidation in our culture that says you're a bigot, you're a hater, you're a judger if you're a Christian, and don't tell me Jesus is the only way because that's, that's, that's narrow-minded and you're old school and all, that, all, that, all those lies, what he's trying to do in the office, marketplace, at school, with your family, neighborhood, relatives, friends, He's trying to shut your mouth. Because if you will simply tell someone, Jesus died for your sins. And if you'll receive him as your Savior, your sins will be completely forgiven and you'll have the free gift of salvation. That's the gospel message. Jesus made it. He dumbed it down as far as he could so even these guys could share the gospel with somebody. A child can share the gospel with someone. It's not the message-er, it's the message. It literally carries the power of salvation in it. Jesus died for your sins. If you receive him, if you believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead, you shall be saved. That's it. That message goes out of your mouth into somebody's ears, and if it mixes with faith, bam, they are born again spiritually. Satan wants to shut your mouth. Faith. I've got to move quickly. Above all, above all of this that I've already said, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. See, we have authority over all the powers of darkness. He says above all, because doubt and unbelief stop you in your tracks. They're crippling. They produce fear, discouragement, depression, despondency. A person in that condition is no threat on the battlefield. Faith, on the other hand, moves mountains, produces miracles, says God is on my side. Think about in the Old Testament, for those of you that know the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, this nine-foot monster, however big he was. He was just big enough that big is big. Then you get this, the whole, the whole Israeli, Israeli army representing you and I, the church now. The whole church is paralyzed. Oh, the devil. Oh, I hate that. Christians being afraid of the devil. Mm. The whole army of God is, is scared to death, paralyzed with doubt and unbelief. A teenage boy, 17 years old, walks up and says, what's going on here? Oh, there's a giant down in the valley. And David says, who's this defined the armies of the living God? He goes down there without any armor on. He went down there. With one piece of information that he truly believed. God is with me. God is with me. Say it. God is with me. Say it again. God is with me. One more time. God is with me. He says, this guy's not even circumcised. That's what he said. He said, what's that have to do with spiritual warfare? Circumcision back then was a sign 
that you were in relationship with God. Aren't you glad that in our membership class now in the New Testament, we're not whipping out a little blade and saying, hey, you want to join the gathering place church? Back then, that's the way they did it. All right. I think our, our membership might plummet. I don't know. But you'd have some dedicated people. The ones that went through it, they would be dedicated, man. Think about it. Oh, yeah, I'll go through that. I, I, I'll even volunteer in the nursery after that. Shoot, what's that? He says, he goes down there and says, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? I'm going to take Philistine. I'm going to take his head from his shoulders. He says, you come at me with the name of your gods. I come at you in the name of the Lord God of hosts. I'm going to take your head. See, that's faith. God is with me. The next piece of the armor, he calls it the helmet of salvation. I call it divine thoughts. That word salvation is soterion. It means deliverance. You say, well, how is thought spiritual warfare? Because everything begins with a thought. In the Garden of Eden, Satan sowed a thought of doubt in the goodness of God into Adam and Eve's mind. The entire fall of the human race began with a thought. That's why Jesus said, take heed what you hear. Line up everything you hear with my word, because my word is truth. So Satan comes in and sows a thought into Adam and Eve's mind. Did God really say that you weren't allowed to? And then once you buy a thought, it then becomes an action. Go ahead, go to the next slide. Thought becomes an action. And once you act on a thought, enough times it becomes a habit. And that habit becomes your character, and that character becomes your destiny. Right oh, smoking dope's not a big deal. Just do a little bit of it. You know, it's what a gateway drug. Well, it's not going to get me. Yeah, and then you end up needing more, and then you end up needing something else, and you end up in a rehab center, and you've lost your marriage, you've lost your health, you've lost your finances, whatever it might be. Climbing the corporate ladder. Oh, you know, people come in, they're broke. Oh, well, hey, if you start tithing, God's going to bless you. And they start tithing, they get a promotion, they get promoted. They allow themselves to get promoted right out of church. And all of a sudden, right, they're not part of the kingdom of God anymore because they've been prospered. I mean, I could just go, I just go down a litany of our human behavior and the way we are. But we don't realize that everything starts with a thought. That's why he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Look at Paul says regarding thoughts. This is powerful. For though we walk in the flesh as mortal men, we are not carrying on our spiritual warfare according to the flesh and using weapons of man. The weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood. Our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What are they? We are destroying sophisticated arguments that you're going to hear in your universities. Sophisticated arguments in every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true Knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, I'm going to give you an example real quick. Um, Chris, this is going to be embarrassing for you. Forgive me. Come on up. I told you I was a wrestler in high school, and this is what I learned. Uh, my coach always taught me, right? Come on. Let's, let's tie up. Here we go. Come on. You put your hand right here. This out. Yeah, you can go like this. All right. And what you learn is wherever the head goes, 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 right? Whoa, hey, to the head. Wherever the head goes. Up, see that? No, wherever the head goes, the body goes. Did you see that? Did you see how easy that was for me? There's two reasons that was easy. One, I know he didn't want to embarrass his pastor in front of the church. Secondly was, all I did was control his head. One hand just going like this. He's going, right? Thoughts. Next, the living word of God. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Satan has been fighting the word ever since the beginning. And it's, it's not just the written word of God as a whole, which is logos, but rather the spontaneously spoken individual scripture that the Holy Spirit brings to your members right in your time of need. It's called rhema. It's a rhema word. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is living. This is not some dusty old book written by some dead men. 
It's alive. The living Word of God. The, for the Word of God is living and active and full of power. Making it operative, energizing and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. This is what the devil, this is what Jesus used against the devil when the devil attacked him in the wilderness. Look what it says. The devil comes against Jesus and the devil says to him in Luke 4, If you are the Son of God, trying to sow doubt into his identity, sound familiar? Command this stone to be turned into bread. Jesus replies to him, oh, I'm just going to beat you up. Oh, I hate you. Oh, you're a butthead. He didn't say any of that, did he? He didn't. What did he do? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, quoted a scripture. It is written. Everybody say, it is written. Come on, army. Say, it is written. And forever remains written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil hit him three times, and all three times, Jesus did the exact same thing. Our Savior, our captain, did the exact same thing. He quoted a scripture at the devil. He quoted a scripture Moses wrote 4,000, 2,000 years earlier. He quoted Jesus. It's fighting with a demon spirit, the most powerful demon spirit in all of existence. And Jesus takes a scripture that Moses, a man, wrote down. And Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, quotes it. And let's see what happened at the end of this, this, this attack. I love this passage. At the end of it, it says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he temporarily left him until a more opportune time. Yeah, like maybe when he stops quoting scripture at me. See, the devil respects the Word of God. And then finally is prayer. Again, as I said, I'm just skimming a rock across the water here, but I think you're getting enough out of this to realize you need to get the armor on. Prayer. At the end of putting on the armor, the armor really is prayer armor. Praying always with all kinds of prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. As for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's what Matt was saying, to pray for your pastor, pray for your leaders. Paul says, that I may open my mouth boldly. Why wouldn't he? Because of intimidation, because of persecution, because of fear, because of all these crippling things that come against leaders. Pray for your pray for me. Pray for hope. Pray for my kids. Pray for Mark and Shelley and Josh. And don't criticize. Don't hang out with the devil anymore. Pray. Pray for us. Because the better we are, the better you get to be. Because we're all one body. I was sitting at my daughter's volleyball game yesterday. Oh my goodness, is it really that time? Wow. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm going to say this. I'm sitting there, and this guy, these two guys, John on the, the uh, pastor, the coach, John on the coach, John on the coach, John on the coach, critical, critical, critical. The coach does this. The coach's not doing that when he put my daughter in. And the coach doing this. Call timeout. The coach does He never does this. They go, I'm sitting there just ready to smack both of them. And the game's over, and he said something negative about the coach. I stood up, and I said, I'm just glad I'm not the coach. I turned around and just walked away. It was better than smacking him in the mouth, which is what I wanted to do. I went up to the coach afterwards, and I said, you may not realize this, coach, but coaching's a lot like pastoring. He said, really? I said, yeah. yeah. I want to be an encouragement to him. And so I make sure. But getting out, I hear so many of the parents. I'm like, my gosh. It's murderous. It's junior varsity volleyball. This is the kingdom of God and heaven and hell and souls are at stake. Let's encourage one another. I like this picture. This means war. This means war. Look at the scripture. The earnest... Prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I'm going to ask you to join the GPC prayer force. Uh, on your bulletin and uh, your guest card, you can go on the website at info at gatheringplacechurch.org. GPC prayer, bullet, uh, prayer force is praying for 10 minutes. You can do it on the treadmill. You can do it after the kids go off to school. You can do it on your way to work. Praying 10 minutes a day for me, for my wife, for the kids, for the leadership of the church, for this church, for our mission of changing the world one life at a time. Just committing to prayer. I also want to ask you this. 
over the next couple of weeks, uh, I want to ask you to fast uh, one day. This week, fast one day. Next week, or however you want to fast. And I mean food. In the Bible, it never says anything about anything other than fasting food. You can fast other stuff that's healthy for you. But a spiritual fast is food because it's our sustenance. And let me tell you something that is controversial. You may not believe me, but let me just say this. I really believe with all conviction. If you miss one meal, you will not die. <laughs> but the sacrifice is dependency on God. It's seriousness. I want to make a difference. It makes one time they couldn't cast a demon out of somebody's son. And Jesus said, this kind doesn't come out, but by prayer and fasting, new levels, new devils. I want you to pray and fast this week. One, uh, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be having a black pastor from East County in this pulpit talking about the racial divide in our country. I want to address this. And I want us to get our hearts white, right. White, black, yellow, green. We have got to get our hearts right which means our heart has to be God's heart. So I'm asking you to fast and pray this week over the racial divide of our nation so that our hearts can get right. Secondly, I want you to fast and pray for the presidential election because this is serious business. And if, if your person doesn't win, at least when it's all said and done, you can say, I did my part. I fasted, I prayed, and I voted. Then you can go on trusting God. As we continue to build the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen. Can we all stand? Man, I cannot believe the last time I looked at that clock, it was 20 after. Yikes. But you got a full meal today, right? Okay, I'm going to call the prayer teams down because here's what we want to do. We prayed about this together as prayer teams before church started. We want We want you free. We want you free. And then for you to walk out of these doors realizing who you are in Christ and being unintimidated and unashamed, which means your light will shine bright and your salt will be salty and you can bring freedom and deliverance to people you run into all week long as we change our world one life at a time. That's life on life. So here's what I want to do. If you have been struggling with something, it could be spiritual shame. It could be mental. It could be emotional. It could be physical. Many times when Jesus healed somebody, he cast out a spirit of infirmity infirmity then i'm going to ask you as we begin to worship for you to move down here because the bible says where two or more agree on earth my father will do it jesus is here to bring deliverance but many times jesus gave people instructions stretch out your arm go to that pool and wash yourself and you'll be cleansed so you gotta you gotta you gotta step out of your comfort zone and say i'm coming for deliverance matt had to get on the website and find somebody and go to their home and have them come to his home for deliverance to take place. So if you are suffering in some way and you believe that it's beyond the natural, that it's something spiritual or could be something spiritual, I'm going to ask you to slip out from where you are right now and just come right on down here to the front for these prayer teams to begin praying for you because we believe today is a day of deliverance and freedom for you. And so go ahead and start moving right now. If that's you, just come on down here. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ before. The burden and the guilt of your sin is on you. Right now, you are going to meet God face to face when you die. And you are going to have given account for your life. And if you've had ever sinned one time, which we all have, you will be uh, rejected from heaven. And you will pay the penalty of your sin for the rest of eternity. But you do not have to do that. You do not have to do that. Because Jesus came down from heaven as a man to die in your place. He's already paid for all of your sin. What you have to do is say, I receive Jesus as the payment for my sin. I believe he died for my sins, rose from the dead. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm receiving him as my Savior right now. If that's you... And you want to walk out of here saved and with authority over the enemy. You need to slip out of your chair right where you are and come down here.
and let these prayer teams start to pray for you. I'll come down and I'll pray for you as well. begin leading worship and I want to I want to ask if you have kids you got to get them and then come back in here if you want to stand and worship you can continue to worship you can also right where you are just begin taking authority over the enemy you can pray over one another the enemy's been coming after your marriages coming after your health coming after your mind just begin taking authority over them right there where you are and let's watch the Lord do some amazing things in here today Father, thank you so much for your Son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the authority you've given to us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray, set your people free, Lord. Bondages break. Sickness is healed. Minds and hearts set free.